We take up our Bibles again and turn to the book of Matthew. Tonight again to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, where we'll take up our reading and our text from verses 35 through 38. If you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew. That will shift now, uh, always at least for a little while now, to our evening service as we take up catechism preaching in the morning. As we move into the school year this next week, uh, an introduction lesson to the catechism before we get the following week, the Lord willing it, into the truth of beloved Lord's Day 1. But for right now, then, we consider that mission that we are called to, a mission for sheep and grain, a mission for more than just that which you begin a game of settlers of Catan looking for. That's not what we'll talk about tonight, but rather a better mission and a greater one together. So let's hear these words together. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. We humble ourselves before the reading of God's word because it is his power among us, his inerrant, infallible word that he promises will not go out void but will accomplish that which he has purposed for it. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, let's ask for his blessing on that word in a moment of prayer. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you that you bring us again before your word, before the wonderful ministry of Jesus Christ, the wondrous work that he had come to do according to your will. And Father, as we hear that, as we see that, as we see this transition now between Matthew explaining what he has done, now to that transition of coming to disciples and setting them apart for the same, calling his people to be on mission with him, Father, may we hear it, may we understand it, may we recognize your son and his work in us, his compassion for us. But also, Father, to be about the works that our Savior has modeled and exampled for us. Father, continuing to come before you in prayer, seeking the help that we need. And so, Father, in this time of preaching, I need your help. That each person sitting here needs your help. That we need the working of your Holy Spirit to take this word and to apply it. That we would hear what we need to hear. That we would be changed in the way that we need to be changed. And that we would be equipped and sent out ready to go out to that mission. And so, Father, would you do that according to your promise, for we cling to it in Jesus' name. Amen. With children of God called to be saints, I want you to imagine tonight an amount of work that you might have that is absolutely overwhelming. That no matter how much you work during a day, It never seems to go down. Maybe like those examples we see in movies of the inbox and you have all of those file folders that are there and you come back at the end of a hard day and the pile is bigger. And you're like, well, I don't need to imagine that. Maybe that's already your life. And even now, for those who don't work in an office setting, certainly that work of either already having gotten out to the harvest or getting ready to go out to that harvest is just as much. Here is that time, and we've got to be busy, and that long day happens, and no matter how much I do it, 
it still doesn't seem to be enough. I'm chipping away at it, but the work never lessens. And so I want you to have that in the back of your mind as you consider this call here in Matthew chapter 9. That here at the end, and certainly even as I prayed, there is transition now in terms of Matthew unfolding the great work that Jesus had already been done, been doing, now to that understanding of transition of how do I equip the disciples, how do I send them to do this work too? And so in that example of your own work, as much as you're trying to chip away at that work, you're asking, I need some help. And so you're praying that other people would share in that work, and and you're needing to pray that there would be more people than that too. And so that becomes much of our mission here together. That as Jesus is on mission, he needs others to be on mission with him, And he calls them then, you're going to need help too. And they're going to need help too. And there are going to need to be more laborers to go out and accomplish that for which I send you. And yet, what did Christ give himself to? What are we to be giving ourselves to as we consider that mission? What are we going to do? And how are we going to be prepared to do it? Because the way Jesus sets out is not one saying, you know what, with that pile that you've got on your desk, you just got to work harder. You've just got to put more time in. You just need a few more hours in the day. There aren't any more. We need help. We need more. And so this text, which is the lead-in again to the preparation to share along with Christ's disciples in his work and in his ministry is a recognition that it is his work, that we do that which he set us apart to, that he will continue to be faithful to it, but yet he calls us to be faithful certainly to that work, but more importantly, to prayer. That if we are to be the followers of Jesus Christ, then we should be doing the works that he did, but that starts then with offering the prayers that he commands us to. And so as those who are going to be given to that mission for sheep and grain, in living and speaking, the Good Shepherd and Lord of Harvest prepares his disciples to share in that mission. And so we want to see three things about that mission tonight, that it is a mission of action in verse 35, it's a mission of compassion in verse 36, and then it is a mission ultimately of intercession in verses 37 and 38. But of course, when we talk about that mission, instantly we think of action. In fact, we get impatient to it. Why don't we just do what Jesus does? What would Jesus do? Let's slap the bracelets on and let's get out there and let's accomplish something. And certainly a part of that is a good intention. In fact, we might even be saying, according to the lyrics of an older song, a little less conversation a little more action. In fact, that's what we would love to see from more churches. And so certainly as we look through, and if you flip through your Bibles even to see those headings from Matthew 4 through Matthew 9, that telling of the work and action of Jesus Christ is really in that way for the time an overwhelming one. His life was wholly given to that which the Father had given him to do. There wasn't inactivity outside of those times where he needed to come away for a while. Those opportunities to continue to pray and to share with his disciples and have that fellowship. 
but he was always on mission. There wasn't a break, there wasn't a vacation. But yet what we see here in Matthew 9 is that link back to Matthew 4.23. We see the same formulation that becomes bookends. See the ministry of Christ for what it is. And what is it? The same thing that he was doing at the beginning. Jesus doesn't start his mission and then say, well, you know what, this really isn't working or I need better ministry strategy or, you know what, we should be doing something else. I'm really not as popular as I think I should be, so let's adopt. Jesus comes and does the thing. And he does his thing unapologetically. He continues to do that in faithfulness, in steadfastness, with diligence. Here at Matthew 4.23, and he went through all, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the, kingdom of the, uh, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's the same thing. And there are times in our fascination congregation with new things, better thing, shiny thing, different thing, that we lose sight of why we're here. We lose sight of the work of the church, which is to continue doing that which Christ has laid before us. And so Christ continued from the starting point of his work, continuing to do the Father's will. He continued to fulfill his calling, no matter the resistance, no matter the slander, no matter the misunderstanding. He continued on. What are we going to do? The same thing we do every day. We're going to do that in faithfulness. We're going to do that in the means that the Lord has provided. He continued to endure for the joy set before him. And so again, that's the fascinating thing of coming to chapter 9 again and saying, Jesus was faithful in every way and every day to doing that for which the Father sent him. And he was faithful to doing it throughout his ministry. Look again at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. And so, yes, it speaks to the scope of his ministry and just how widespread it was. But again, to the main tenet of his ministry, which he never deviated from. He went. Jesus didn't come somewhere and sit in a chair and say, hey, when are they all going to come to me? When are they going to show up? I'm here, and I'm wise, and I can do these things. Why don't they come to me? No, Jesus went. Jesus goes. He goes to do the work of the Father. He goes into the cities. He goes to find the sheep. He goes to find the grain. He went. Again, a mission that he never deviated from. And yet we pause and say how willingly so many churches have abandoned that singular and simple mission of going and making disciples, of going into the cities and the villages, of going to our communities, of going to our neighbors with a call to repent and believe the good news of Jesus. But pastor, that isn't sticky enough. That's not good enough. I mean, we, we have to have more than that. I mean, we, we've got to have people, and, and, and we've got to have better worship, and, and we have to have more programs, and, and our building has to be better. And our... 
that we're marketing the church rather than being on mission with Jesus. It's a plain mission congregation of three things. Teaching in their synagogues. Why? Because the synagogues were the community hub. This is where the faithful Jews came together. This is where they came to study the scriptures. This is where their children were catechized. They came in that way, we could use in today's parlance, they came to their local churches. And so he goes to their churches, and it's interesting in our text when you read that, right? He doesn't go to his synagogue, he goes to their synagogues. Possession, they're, they're yours. And there are people there, but I am calling a people to myself. I am building a church together, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what this work is doing. And so he goes in order to teach there, to open the scriptures, to defend the faith, to continue calling them to the sure understanding of who he was and why he came and why he needed to come and what their hope for the future ultimately should and could be. How? By proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And maybe that's our problem today. Because we know that we should go and we know that that we should be reaching the lost and we should be on mission together, but the problem comes one. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to speak. Speak the gospel. Speak what you rehearse to your kids. In the words of Deuteronomy 6, I was a slave to sin. I was separated from God. And God came and he reached down into my heart and he pulled out that which was broken and sinful and separate from him and he put in a heart of flesh written on with his word and he changed me through and through. And the life that I live now, I desire to live for him. And so I live a life of gratitude doing the things that Christ has called me to do. And part of that is talking to you and pleading with you to be reconciled to God. Because that's how the kingdom advances. Not in the shiny thing, not in the mailer, not in all of the externals, not in all of the preferences, in the thing, in the truth, in the gospel. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the way of deliverance. That is the way of hope. It is the way of assurance. The good news was about the kingdom and the rule and reign of God over all. And wouldn't that be a message of comfort to so many who say, this world is messed up, what's happening in politics, what's happening to the economy, what's going to happen? You have an answer for it. I believe in a sovereign Lord who has sent his son to deliver us because this world isn't all there is and he's going to come again and make it all new. And so I'm going to rest in that and I invite you to do the same by having your life found holy in the righteousness of Christ. That's your answer. And then going and healing every disease and every affliction. And you're like, well, there's the separation because I can't do what Jesus did. You can't come and speak comfort into the brokenness of relationships, into the hurt of those who who see themselves and see their bodies in some way as deformed, 
those who can't look at themselves and not see an issue or a problem, those that are depressed, discouraged, anxious, you don't have something to say to them? Those who are unemployed or underemployed, those whose children are wayward, those who are grieving, we don't have anything to say to them? We don't have anything that can work healing in their lives? What kind of impotent Savior do we believe? What kind of ineffective word are we holding on to and not studying? There is no disease or injury or hardship or heartache that the Lord Jesus Christ does not have sovereign mastery over. That is where we find and lead people because that's where we needed to be led. We needed to be changed. And so as we consider that action, in many ways it's very simple. It's super simple. Three things. Teach and proclaim and heal. And you're like, well, I can't do that. You're right, and I can't either. None of us can do that. That is the working of Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit. That is the working of his word to do that. And so the action you are called to, even as Christ has exampled it, is a way of faithfulness. What are we going to do tomorrow? We're going to teach our kids, we're going to proclaim the gospel, and we're going to seek to bring healing and the wonder of the gospel to bear on every square inch of this broken world. And what are we going to do on Tuesday? The same thing. And on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And when we come again on Sunday to be equipped to that good work, what are we going to do? We're going to teach, we're going to proclaim, and we're going to heal. And that will be winsome. And that will be world-changing. Even within the small corner of this earth that we live in. And so give yourself to that action. But the first action we give ourselves to is giving ourselves to Christ. Giving ourselves to submission to his will. Giving ourselves to the grace that only he provides. Giving our lives to that singular mission that I am here, Father, to go out and be used of you in gathering those sheep and gathering that harvest. And so we're very ready for action at times or when it's easy Day by day, no matter how you feel about it, no matter how it's going, no matter how it seems the battle goes, we're going to go out and we're going to do the same things to the glory of his name. But what shapes that, the motivation for it, is also that which comes from Christ as he calls us then to a mission of compassion and that in the second place. Because that's what should set this off in a different way. Because we're not looking at that mission of action saying, this is why I'm accepted by God. This is why I am blessed by him. This is why... There is blessing in obedience. But this is not a checklist that if I do these things that... No, in fact, you'll probably be persecuted. You'll be hated. You'll be maligned. You'll be slandered. You could be killed. Like, that's the brochure. That's the mission. And yet why I keep doing it, why we keep doing it, needs to be fueled in that understanding of compassion, even as Christ looks at us. 
And kids, the word compassion means to be sympathetic, and I know I've used a big word in order to say, but, but that you're able to look at someone and you're able to understand their hurt. That maybe you don't have identical feelings, but you're able to come near to someone and you get it, and you get them. That you're thoughtful of it, okay? That you're not oblivious to the needs that someone else has, but again, you're drawing near to someone, understanding their feelings, thinking about what's going on in their life, their distress. But then there's one more step. Because what's going to change you is a prayer that says, Lord, I want to be able to help them. That's what real compassion is. That's the difference between compassion and pity. Pity's just looking at somebody and saying, oh man, that stinks. Compassion is saying, I want to help alleviate that. I want to be a blessing to them. But it starts with seeing, right? Seeing more than ourselves. Seeing more than just the few people that I might come into contact with every day. But going out of my house into the mission field that I'm called to with open eyes to say, who needs to be helped and what other helpers are needed and and how can grace be extended? Verse 36, when he saw the crowds. Jesus is always watching. He's always looking. He always has the best way in basketball terms, court vision. He sees all of it going. He sees all of those next moves. He's able to understand all of it. He knows them. He knows what they need. He knows their hurts. He knows their anxieties. He sees and knows what is best for them and the fact that they are not living that kind of life. He sees the brokenness all over, the decay of sin and of busted relationships. He sees it. And so as the sinless one, he comes in our flesh that he might show compassion. But yet it's not a show. He has it. He had compassion for them. That he is not some deity that draws near to us just to pity us, seeing our sorrows and circumstances and living them. No, that in this moment, what Matthew wants to make plain for the Jews and for us is that his humanity and divinity reach out in the beautiful union that is Jesus in the greatest empathy in the exercise of his office and his love. That's how he draws near. Compassion and empathy. But again, it's the the better word here is compassion. Why? Because yes, both of those words you're saying, okay, I'm working through the vocabulary, Pastor. Both of them refer to a caring response to someone else's distress, their trouble. And you're right. But empathy stops at only being an active sharing in it. So you've come to someone almost in that way therapeutically. So you've heard it, you've worked through it with them, you share their pain, you weep with them. That's empathy. But again, it's that next step. Compassion adds to the emotional experience that desire to help. What can be done? And so it links the emotion and the truth and all that is wrapped up in one's heart, given the fact that it has now been changed, to now how do we move forward? 
How does the understanding of the kingdom manifest in such a way that a life is truly changed? And so what's super awesome here and a little bit frustrating, to be honest, is that this word compassion is never one written about us. That if you see the word compassion in the scriptures, it is always and only used of Jesus. He's the only one able to do it perfectly. He's the only one able to manifest it totally. That the writer Coster writes, quote, it is always used to describe the attitude of Jesus and it characterizes the divine nature of his acts. That's what Matthew is bringing again in understanding all of the mission of Jesus from Matthew 4 now to Matthew 9 and moving that mission forward and now involving another people in it. We can't lose sight of who Jesus is, his uniqueness. That while we go out and we use terms like hands and feet of Jesus, we're the body of Christ. And that's true, that's scripture here. But what Jesus does is individual and unique and him only. It's his work. It is the work of the Savior. His person is that of the Messiah. That's him. And so what Matthew is making clear, again, to us and his Jewish audience, is that Jesus is the Messiah. No less than than he is now. His works have borne it out entirely. Because Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because compassion is the marker of the Messiah. Here is the one who is to be understood, to be known, to be listened to, to be obeyed, to find all of our trust in. And even this one, Son of God and Son of Man, has compassion for you and for me. Compassion for broken sinners. And so we wonder, why God? Why would you love me enough to send your son? Why would you love us, a church enough, to send him to be that ransom? Why would your heart go out to those who hate you, despise you, persecute you, and will lead you to die? Because they were harassed and helpless. Jesus is able to see their real state. They were without a defender. They were without a helper or resources to meet their needs. Literally, these words can mean things like distressed, literally flayed, and wounded. They were dejected and dispirited. Again, that second word, helpless, literally here, thrown down. The most beat up, hurt people that could be seen. And that's how he sees all of his own. He sees us for what we really are, not the, not the face we put on, hey, how you doing? Good, I'm, I'm, I'm all right, how are you? Good. He sees all of it. And yet the worst part of it isn't that this is just the state of this people that he has come to save, but who's done it to them? Who has broken them and hurt them in this way? Who has led them away? 
who has led the sheep away from the true shepherd. They weren't being cared for by their religious leaders, by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees, by the scribes. That here, even in the way Matthew is writing it, both in Matthew 4, but also now here, especially in chapter 9, is an indictment of the way that the people have been treated by those who were supposed to be shepherding them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. His mission was for sheep. His mission was to care for his own. And these sheep had been treated horribly by those who were supposed to be shepherding them. And the sins of those religious leaders in those days had consequences. No differently than the than the lives and ministries of those who call themselves shepherds today who do not lead people to Christ but away from him, who lead churches away from faithfulness, away from the authority of the word of God, away from the true teaching, and unto worldliness. There's judgment for that too. It has consequences. And so many of the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of the sins of those leaders, like Micah and Zechariah, against the injustices of the priests and others in Israel. And it was still happening. That's why there was so much work to be done. And sadly, in Jesus' day, those leaders were living out the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. Hear these words, verses 1 to 6. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should, you not, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That's where they were found. And it's certainly for us as a pastor and as elders where we have to consider our hearts and our ministries too. To the great care that we are called to. The great work of under-shepherding that we are called to. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill my sheep were scattered. Over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. And yet, what has Jesus said? I have come to seek and save the lost. I have come to find the lost sheep of Israel. He continues to say, I am the Messiah, the Savior, and the Lord that you need. Why? Because sheep are defenseless. Again, some of you work with sheep. Without a shepherd, without that care, they are prone to every kind of attack. Sheep are helpless. For without a shepherd, they will not be able to find food or forage enough or even to know enough to find their own water. They need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. And not just any shepherd, but again, the one pointed to so often through the old Testament. For already at the end of Moses' life and his appointing of Joshua, 
it begins to signal that need for his people. We need a better shepherd, one who will show us the way. Numbers 27, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. But in his great compassion for us, he says, I am your shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Jesus Christ alone is that shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It is our blessed assurance, congregation, in the compassion of Christ. Ezekiel 34, 15 to 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The assurance of John 10, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The bounds of his compassion are as such that there aren't any. There's no limit. There's no stopping. Not even all of his life and all of his death and all of his righteousness. He holds none of that back. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This must be our blessed assurance that Christ has shown that compassion to us. And has done all things for us in our salvation. That good shepherd that we would be delivered. That we would be provided for. That we would know the love of one who doesn't just see our need but fulfills it for us in his righteousness. And that's what you're called to believe. That's what you're to understand and praise the Lord for. Thank you that you have seen me and that you have helped me, that you've turned your anger away and that you've been gracious to me, that you know my heart and all of my brokenness and you came near to me anyway. And you have cared for me like your sheep. But then in receiving that, brothers and sisters, even though compassion is written about Jesus, we seek to walk like he did. We want our lives to be modeled after his. That we want to be able to see needs around us and not just recognize there's a problem but to be able in compassion to help in the words of the gospel and the blessing of Christ. So then what is our encouragement in understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do and the mission he calls us to? That action that we still can't get away from, but defined in a proper motivation. Hear it in Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, which really, if you're adding those two together, speaks compassion. 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That our unity would be found in understanding the compassion of Christ that's been extended to each of us. So that when broken people enter our church and they come to hear the gospel, that they would hear not only the compassion of Jesus, but they would receive the compassion of those that have received it. But then there's a greater exhortation. 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. In compassion, what are we to do? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have few, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, not harming those over whom you have charged, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, because while we've been found, he's going to come again for us, you will receive the fading, unfading crown of glory. Do we know that compassion? Not only in understanding our relationship with Jesus and the compassion he's extended to us, but now being able to see in our communities and our neighbors and those that we come into contact with, people that we're not only called to love, but to bring that help before. And we can't change them. We can't save them. We can't make them receive it. But in sharing in the work of Christ, we can call them to it. And yet that work of compassion, even that work of action, has to start with one thing. And that's where our text ends. And it's too bad, and again, the Lord has a reason for it. But maybe verses 37 and 38 should come first. But in recognizing all that Jesus is, knowing our inclination now to rush ahead and not hear all those instructions, he says your compassion and your action must start with intercession, and that in the last place. Because the Lord is looking to set apart those who will share in his mission. That's where our next several sermons will come in the book of Matthew. What is that? Who's been equipped for it? What will they go out and do? Where will the success be found? That's where we're going to need to dwell for a while. But in this pregame talk, as it were, He's looking to set apart a specific kind of people. Those who will ora et labora. Those who will pray and those who will work. And truly in that order. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples. And so what Jesus now has set is a distinction. Those are the people that hurt the sheep and scattered the sheep and broke the sheep. You disciples are not to model your life that way or to show in any way your action and compassion in the same. Here's your task. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so Jesus in saying this is already saying there is an action required. There is a response demanded. There is a harvest that must be brought in. You need to see it and you need to recognize it. And that's the wonder, and I praise the Lord in his providence, that we're in this time of year when we come to this text. Because as I see you men, and again, some of you already in the field, some of you getting stuff ready to be able to get out, right? 
the harvest is there. And we see it. And we prayed for it in the spring. We need rain. And the Lord has provided. And there is a harvest to go out to in his goodness. We see it all around this church. It is the joy of being closer to the fields here than I was in central Iowa. You see it every day when you drive in. The harvest is there. But now do you get to look at that harvest and say, it'll be brought in. I see a harvest, but you know what? The Lord's faithful. He's going to bring that into the bins. All of it will be there. He'll provide for my needs. Let's just get that lawn chair out and let's watch it. You're all sitting there saying, what a foolish farmer that is. Because that same God can provi- who provides for you has also provided you time and labor and industry and equipment to do that thing. You'd be looking at that guy and say, get up off your chair and get into the field. We look around us and we see communities of people who Jesus is saying, the harvest is plentiful. We see it all around us. There are so many of the lost that need to be called in God's electing love to embrace the gospel of Christ. He says it. This is the sight that I've given you. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Somebody else will do it. Somebody more gifted, I don't need to. You know what? They know our church doors are unlocked twice on Sunday. It'll come in. They see me open my garage twice on Sunday. They know where I'm going. Why don't they follow? And there is that bit for us where we have to heed that understanding. Do we see it or are we shutting our eyes to it? Do we know what compassion is about in such a way of saying, you know what? If they are left in their common sin and misery, we know the end for them. Am I willing to reach out and serve with compassion? An action is demanded. But when we come there and we think about it, There's a great deal of work to do. Like a lot. Like the, the greatest harvest ever. Like I remember in Wellsburg, so many harvests where all of a sudden they had to find like abandoned parking lots so they could put stuff over it because there was so much grain and there wasn't enough room in the elevator. Times like infinity. <laughs> There's a lot of work to do. More than that which Jesus in the flesh could do. More than 12 disciples could do. You see, that's the telling part here is that Jesus is true man. And in the flesh, he couldn't be in more than one place at once, just like us. And so now he will bring the disciples to himself, calling them to share in that labor. He's calling us, here it is, see it, the laborers are few. And so there's an action required and demanded. And we get to that point and say, okay, let's go, let's do it. And and there's more to do, and we got to do, and we got to do. 
We need to share in the labor. I need to share in that in the call of the Word and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus in verse 38 says, whoa, wait a minute. Because if you're going to go out and try to do that, no different than the businessman with that stack that never ends, and he's like, I can't ever get this done. I need some help. I need to hire some people, and they're going to need people too. The first action required is what? Verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. It's move the eye away from you and says, Lord, would you use even me? I know that work is required. Would you use me? But again, hear this plainly tonight. There is so much freedom and so much excitement when we hear it. Because again, what does Jesus call them to first? Does he say, be better? Does he guilt them into, you know what, put some more hours in? What's wrong with you people? He doesn't say that. Does he say, work harder? Doriani in his commentary writes it this way, Jesus doesn't call for volunteers, he calls for prayer. Pray first. Are we praying concerning that harvest? I pray that we're praying before we step into the, the combine for the first time, Lord, provide. How much more that harvest of souls that is his. So in that way, the lyric has to be corrected. A lot more conversation before action. Because it is prayer that bears out the real need, that bears out my need and your need. Lord, we need you to provide. We need you to send. We need you to empower. We need you to save and gather and care and harvest. Because we can't do it ourselves. No matter how big or how small our church would be, we can't do it ourselves. The work of the kingdom cannot be equated to the business world or to the principles of capitalism. We are wholly dependent. And so we pray, Lord, send out the workers you need and the number you need for your glory. Lord, be sovereign in and over your harvest. Lord, use us. Please use us, a people prepared. Call us to the work of your harvest. But not just us. Send more. And more and more workers into that glorious harvest filled field that is white with harvest. Send more than just ministers and pastors and missionaries. Send Christians who have had eyes open wide and hearts changed by the compassion of Jesus to grow and proclaim the gospel teaching of good news. Because it's his harvest. At the end of the day, no matter what bin they're in, it's his harvest. It's his gathering. And it serves for the praise of his glorious grace. And yet I know what you're thinking maybe. Well, pastor, that sounds like you're just calling us to sit in the chairs and pray while 
harvest is going on. Nope, that isn't what it is. Prayer is not a substitute for the work you're called to. But the work cannot be accomplished apart from the power and efficacy of the prayers of his people. This work then to be done and this mission to go out to can only be cared for and covered by prayer. And so I implore you, people of God, I urge you, I exhort you in the strongest way possible that you would be given to the same. To pray for the mission of the church. To pray for the mission of our church. But to pray for the mission of the church. To pray for the lost. To pray for hearts of compassion. For a readiness to action in the doors that he opens for us. And that together, in word and deed, in prayer and dependence, that we would be given to that mission for sheep and grain in the grace that the good shepherd and glorious harvester provides. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel, for the wonder of Jesus, that word made flesh, who sees us, who has compassion for us, who has taught us, who has proclaimed the gospel to us, who has healed us from every sin and disease. And Father, who now calls us and will, through these next verses, even amongst his disciples, call them to a great task of being on mission with him. And Father, that mission is simple and profound. It is one that is awesome and awful. It is one in the fear of you that ultimately we still fear. But help us to fear you more than we fear man. And help us to love others more than we love ourselves. And above all these things, Father, would be, we be a people of prayer. Praying, Father, that through that teaching and proclaiming and healing, Father, that sinners would be gathered into the church, that they would find salvation that they would be gathered in, but more that they would be sent out. That our church wouldn't be a silo, but would be a place where that seed would go out to be sown. And so, Father, would you work that in us and among us as we are so thankful for the work of that good shepherd who has laid down his life for us, to that glorious harvester who in that last day will reach in his sickle and bring all of that grain to himself who will gather the lambs into his arms and who will bring us further out and further in to the glories of heaven. And so, Father, may we encourage each other in these things and all the more as we see the day approaching, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.